Okay. Uh, if you've been around, uh, you may know that we are in kind of a, a mini-series on how to pray as part of a larger series on the Sermon on the Mount. And our verse for today is in Matthew 6, uh, the end of 9 and then 10. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Uh, and we're now to the part of the Lord's Prayer that deals with petitions or requests. Uh, last time we discussed how Jesus, in explaining how to pray, gave His disciples a mannequin or a skeleton upon which we are to put the flesh and blood of our specific prayers. Now, while there's nothing wrong with uh, reciting the Lord's Prayer like in a liturgical service, okay, uh, we, uh, uh, the prayer is not offered to be prayed specifically that way as it is really a model prayer. Uh, it's not intended to replace legitimate, uh, genuine, heartfelt prayer. I want to say now, and I'll probably repeat this, that as we talk about prayer in these messages, uh, that they are just a model, uh, not a dictate for prayer. Quite simply, Jesus here teaches us the manner in which we should pray, not the words of our prayers. Uh, the Lord's Prayer and its model is not a requirement for every single prayer, every cry out to God, every flare prayer, every grace before a meal, but, and it's not a checklist to click off. On the other hand, I need to emphasize this. God did say, or Jesus did say, in this manner you are to pray. And if I'm honest with myself, it's a little bit convicting to ask, beyond reciting the Lord's Prayer, what have I actually done to follow His instruction? Uh, if it's important enough for Jesus to teach His disciples, it should be important enough for us to study and learn what He taught them and us to do when we pray. And then, at least in our times of intimate, personal prayer, to actually pray as He instructs. Uh, now, uh, there's another issue. Uh, after the first message on how to pray, uh, a good brother came up to me and said, you know, Kent, the issue really is not that people need to learn how to pray at this point. The issue is that people need to pray. And what he's referring to is that if, you, if a church, anybody calls a church or a prayer meeting and holds them regularly, people don't show up consistently. We've tried it here. And so there's a real concern that people really don't take prayer terribly seriously. Uh, and I just want to say, just on a personal level, if you find yourself too busy to pray consistently, bluntly, you are too busy. 
with the busyness of life. You know, just as we as followers of Christ cannot afford not to give regularly, we cannot afford not to pray regularly. No Christian can grow closer to God without talking to Him regularly. And by regular, I mean daily. Often during the day. So, if you are not, please take stock with whatever time God gives you on this earth to commit to make the most of it through your devotion in prayer to the One who just happened to give you and me everything that we have and everything that we are. In short, in short, we should all learn and do what Jesus says here. Let's do a little bit of review here. When we start to pray, we have learned that we are to first pause, recollect, or remember what we're doing. We're talking And to whom? We're talking to the Creator of the universe. The One who is our Father and One who wishes to bless us beyond our desire to be blessed. Then, Jesus teaches us that when we start to pray, we are to address our Father. Not to be technical here, but that this is sometimes called an invocation, which means to call. We are calling upon God to hear our prayer. And in that way, we respectfully show our honor for our Maker, our Sustainer, and frankly, our Judge. And also our recognition of Him as being our loving Father. Remember the inseparable truths that we talked about last time. Just like Aslan, the lion in the the, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, our God is not safe. He is to be feared, but, praise God, He is good. Uh, Now, at this point in our prayers, uh, it is our natural inclination to start requesting stuff or ways or things for ourselves and others. And last month I mentioned that sometimes this may be like going through a fast food drive-thru. And I thought about my comment and how it might have been taken And I thought, you know, people may have understood me to be saying, you know, that their prayers were like something like, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll have one of those uh, really good jobs and uh, supersize the salary, please. Uh, And uh, could I get some more affection for the wife? You know, hold the nagging, please. Uh, And how about a large order of obedience for the kids? Uh, Could you throw in a few packets of sunshine as well? Uh, That'll do it. Amen. Now, I didn't mean to convey last time that your prayers were disingenuous. All right? Uh, I, I don't mean that they're not heartfelt when you pray for yourself. Rather, that if we take a step back outside of ourselves and listen to how we pray, now that we know, now that we've emphasized what Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer, it may appear a little bit like that. 
Uh, it's important to note the particular order of these petitions. The first three requests are directed up. And the latter three, we finally get around to us. Uh, by this order, Jesus helps us understand that we start with adoration of the Father. His glory, His honor, before we ask for ourselves and others. If it's important enough for Jesus to spend a significant amount of time talking about this in the Sermon on the Mount, it's important for us. He desires, and we all desire, that our prayers be effective. And it is a good thing to pray for ourselves and others. James 5 makes this clear. It says there, if anyone suffers, then he must pray. Then it says, if he's sick, then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. If one sins but yet confesses to the offended, those prayers will be forgiven him. We are to pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, Jesus wants our prayers to be effective, just like Elijah's. But Jesus also understands our weaknesses and our self-centeredness. Therefore, he instructs us with the principles through three different ways to first adore our Father in our prayers. And after uh, we realize that we're in God's presence and that He is our Father, Jesus tells us our first petition, Hallowed be Thy name. Okay. I want to deal with a, kind of a practical problem here. I don't know if your experience is like mine uh, growing up, um, but... Uh, you know, we've all heard and recited the Lord's Prayer probably since we were young, most of us. Uh, but what does it mean? Well, I can say pretty clearly that Jesus Christ does not waste words. The words mean something. And I remember as a little boy being in one of these big cathedral type things and, and with my tie on, and at some point the minister would say, Let's now recite the Lord's Prayer. And we would say it. We all had it memorized, right? And it's almost as if we became inoculated to the meaning because we just simply said the words. Uh, so, let's pay attention to the words. Uh, the word hallowed, the Greek hageadso, means I make holy, I treat as holy, as sacred, I set apart as holy, I sanctify, I purify. Okay? In our uh, getting to the gospel class for the high schoolers, Christian and I will often refer to a key verse in 1 Peter 3 that says, always be ready to make a defense or an apology to everyone who asks you for an account of the, for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. What we sometimes fail to mention is that the verse, this passage, begins with that very same verb, hagiadso, but sanctify or hallow, make holy Christ as Lord in your hearts before you make that defense. And then the thy name, 
You know, a lot of history to this. The Jews had an extremely high view of God, so high that they would not even say the, the name Jehovah. They believed the very name. The letters were so holy and they so insignificant that they were not worthy to even utter the name of God. Instead, they referred to God as, quote, the name, unquote. Uh, and therefore, by using thy name here, Jesus instructs us that the purpose of this first petition is to express the desire that God Himself be revered and sanctified, that the very name and all that it represents be honored among mankind and upheld as holy throughout the world. So, thy name actually means all that has been revealed concerning God, all that is true concerning God, all of His attributes, all that He is, all that He has done, and all that He is doing now. Uh, and He's revealed Himself in several different names. I put them on your sheets because I think it's important that we see some of these. Okay, uh, Elohim, His strength and power. Jehovah, the self-existent one. The I am that I am. Jehovah Jireh. Of course, we all know that one. It's a popular one. The provider. Jehovah Rapha. The Lord heals. Jehovah Shalom. The Lord, our peace. Jehovah Raha. The Lord our shepherd. Jehovah Sidkinu, maybe. The Lord our righteousness. And Jehovah Shema. Our Lord is present with us. And throughout these names, God reveals Himself, His nature, His character, and attributes to the world around. So Jesus teaches us to pray, hallowed be thy name. And when He does that, He's telling us to pray that the world would come to know and honor Him in that way. Now, you may not remember all those names, but it's certainly appropriate to use them in your prayers as you honor Him. They are all an expression of a deep and burning desire for the honor and glory of the Father. Um, Jesus expresses this throughout the Gospels. In, in John 17, He said, I have glorified Thee on the earth. I have finished the work which You gave Me to do. And now, O Father, glorify Thou Me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with You before the world was. I have manifested Thy name unto the men which You have given Me out of the world. They are Yours, and You gave them to Me, and they have kept Your word. And Jesus has seen and shared that glory with the Father. And His one desire was that the world, all of mankind, might come to know it. So we should be careful as we do what we teach here at Lion and Lamb, as we make our faith a part of our daily lives, we integrate our faith with our lives. And that's a good thing. But we need to resist the tendency to refer to God, our Father, casually. Just as another word in our vocabulary. Just as a simple friend. Yes, He loves us, but He loves us like no other friend because He is like no other. Everybody in here is going to leave you at some point, some way. But He will never leave you. So, when we 
talk about God. We need to mentally and in our hearts kind of essentially take our shoes off and remember who He is. In Psalm 34, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. How can we possibly do that? Magnify? Make His name greater? Here's a depressing thought. You and I are literally specks among over 7 billion specks on a small-sized planet revolving around a mid-sized star in a galaxy, the Milky Way, that has billions of stars in a universe that has billions of galaxies. Make you feel a little small. Okay? How can we magnify the name of the guy who created all of that? Well, of course we can't. Not in human terms. But what we can do, what the psalmist means here, is that we can reflect His greatness and glory in the way that we pray, the way that we live our lives, our words, our attitudes, everything can magnify Him. Why? So that the glory of God will appear to be greater among all people of the world. You know, right now at this point in the Lord's Prayer, we're not the focus of the prayer. But we could look at this as a prayer to God make me holy. Work in me so that I and others might reverence and honor and worship you in spirit and in truth. So when Jesus sets out as a model the prayer, hallowed be thy name, he means more than just words as we often just mutter. Rather, a burning desire that the world bow down before him in adoration, giving him thanks and glory. I want to take a gut check here. Okay? Just briefly, I'd like everybody just to close your eyes and ask yourself a question for privacy here. When I pray, is it my supreme desire above all else that God be honored? Even deeper, even harder, when things fall apart, when the diagnosis is inoperable cancer, when a loved one betrays, a child dies, or some other trial or pain, is it still my first desire that this loving Father of mine should be glorified and adored by all among men? Okay, open your eyes. That's a convicting thought for me. If I want to know God's blessing and have my prayers be effective, I've got to start where the Psalms and the Proverbs start. 
when they tell us the beginning of wisdom, joy, and peace is the fear of the Lord. That's a reverential fear. To know deep down in our heart of hearts that of course He is not safe, but He is good. So our first petition is not for ourselves, but that the name above all names be hallowed, honored, and worshipped by all. Once we raise our first petition that God's name be glorified among all, we are immediately reminded it really isn't. Many ignore or even curse His name. Why is it that all do not humble themselves before Him and worship His holy name? You know the answer. It's called sin and the human problem of evil. When we worship our Father in heaven, it becomes obvious that there is a God of this world who has a kingdom of darkness opposed to the kingdom of heaven. God reveals through His Word that He is going to establish His kingdom in our world of time and turn Satan's kingdom into His. The Old Testament contains promises and prophecies to pray specifically that God's kingdom come until the end. John the Baptist preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus preached the very same thing. And here in this prayer model, Jesus teaches his disciples and us to pray and to continue to pray specifically that God's kingdom come until the end. So what is this kingdom of God? Well, it means the reign of God, his saving rule. And we can see the kingdom of God in at least three ways. One, in the sense that it came with Jesus. In, in Luke 11, Jesus said, If I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. So Jesus exercised the power, the sovereignty, the majesty, and the dominion of the kingdom of God in his ministry. Secondly, it is here now in the sense that it is present in the church in the heart of all who truly call upon the name of Jesus for salvation. And thirdly, praise God, it is coming. Early Christians prayed, Come, O Lord. And then in 2 Peter 3, it says, We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the house of righteousness. I'm sure you, you know that throughout history, uh, those in bondage, like slaves in, in, in 18th and 19th century America, and even people suffering today under cruel persecution, have and do pray for the return of Jesus, the kingdom of God. Yet, in some American churches today, people will sit in comfortable pews or chairs and say, thy kingdom come. But what they really mean is, Lord, hang on a while. You know, I'd like to enjoy some of the pleasures of life. Maybe I'd like to get married. Or I'd like to be a success in my career. Or, you know, I'd like to enjoy retirement and grandchildren or whatever it might be. But the day is coming. The whole thread of God's Word looks forward to it. Christ came to establish the kingdom. He's now engaged in the task and He will continue until the end when His kingdom is completed. 
But what does this prayer mean for us? Uh, before we pray for ourselves, we should pray that the kingdom of God would come into the hearts of men. This includes our own hearts. And it is to the extent that we worship Him, we surrender to Him, we give our lives over to Him, that His kingdom comes into our hearts. And when we ask that the kingdom come, we are asking that the gospel win out in the hearts of people all over the world. So this is a comprehensive missionary prayer. But it goes way beyond that. It is looking and hastening unto the coming of the day of God. We should look to the day when the Lord returns, when all that opposes Him will be thrown into the lake of fire and His kingdom fully restored. <clears throat> the Bible ends <clears throat> with a statement in Revelation 22.20. There it says, He which testifies these things says, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. You know the church is referred to as the bride of Christ? Do you and I look with the anticipation of a bride waiting for her groom? Do we have that burning desire to see His kingdom and His name glorified and magnified over all? Thy kingdom come is followed logically by Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this third petition appears to be for the kingdom of God to be manifested by the eventual perfect accomplishment of the Father's will. You know, presently God works through the evil of men. You all remember the story of Joseph's brothers, and they meant it and carried out their scheme for evil. But God meant it for good in order to bring about it as it is this day to save many people alive. When God's kingdom comes, there's going to be no rebellion, no scheming, no disobedience. God's desire to see this righteousness practice will only be fulfilled in the completed kingdom. However, Christians in this present kingdom are called to fulfill that will. We saw in Matthew 5 how Jesus explains that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no way enter into the kingdom of heaven. In the completed kingdom, there'll be no guidelines concerning lust or hate or divorce or hypocrisy or all those other problems. No need. The Sermon on the Mount gives us the practical instruction to work out these pragmatic ethical issues within the context of the evil surrounding us now and our opposition to it in the present kingdom. You and I cannot weasel out of God's demands for righteousness just because there is evil around us in this age. And those demands are framed in terms of opposition to that very same evil. But it's in this way that these demands point forward to the perfection of the completed kingdom in which God's will shall be accomplished freely and openly without exception, without the need to frame it in terms of opposition to evil. So when we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you and I are making at least two great commitments. First, 
to learn as much as possible about his will. In other words, consistent and humble study of the scriptures. You know, we must not only proclaim that God's word is infallible and authoritative, we must work diligently at learning it and understanding it. Put simply, you can't be around here very long without hearing the words, read your Bible. Okay? It's that simple. All right. And the second one, logically, that flows from praying that His will be done is this. Because we have taken the time to study and learn about His will through His Word, by His grace, you and I should do His will as much as we understand it. So, uh, let's summarize here. To go through what we've covered so far in this little series on how to pray. First, we're taught to begin our prayers by remembering, pausing. Don't just launch in, but pause. Remember what we're doing and who we're doing it with. Talking to the God of the universe. Next, we call upon God to hear our prayer out of honor and respect, but with that inseparable truth that our loving Father wishes to bless us beyond our desire to be blessed. Today, we studied the petitions of adoration. The first, hallowed be thy name, his glory. So we desire first, before praying for ourselves or even for the saving of souls, that he receive the honor and glory due his name. The next, thy kingdom come, his reign. We pray that he would rule in the hearts of people today through the gospel, but also in that day when the Lord returns, when all that opposes him will be vanquished and his kingdom fully restored. And finally, we pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, his will. We pray that his will is accomplished here and now amidst all this evil in the world just as it will be perfectly in his coming kingdom. Jesus prayed in John 17, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. We should so know our Father that our attitude our actions, our words, our longing, our burning desire should be first for all to know and glorify Him that all might humbly pray and worship in His presence. Father in heaven, we desire nothing but to worship and praise You, that You be lifted up above all. Lord, we desire that you, your kingdom come into the hearts of men throughout the world. Father, we pray that your plan, your will would be done in our hearts, in our lives, in the lives of others. Thank you, Father. Help us to remember, to reverence you every time we mention your name. And to pray from our hearts as Jesus has instructed us. Father, we give you 
all praise and all glory today. And we pray that you would hear our praises, hear our confessions, hear our desire to honor you and thank you for the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for each one of us so that we might spend eternity with you. Thank you, Father, for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.